Don't you know? You died to sin. You're crucified. You're buried. You're raised again. Consider it so and present yourself not to the wrong side and present your members. Don't use any member of your body, your hand, what you do in life, your feet, where you go, your eyes, what you look at, the direction you head in life, your heart, your sexuality, everything, everything. Don't think of presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, placing them at sin's disposal. Oh no, he says. But now he gets to the positive. Look at it. Present yourselves to God. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. As soon as you and I come to God's grace in Christ, we are to start living accordingly. And it begins to teach us that. The Holy Spirit teaches us that from, from the inside out. The Holy Scripture teaches us that. And grace, the principle, teaches us that. Titus 2, verse 12. We're to know the truth. And so he says, don't you know? You've been identified with Christ. You died with Him. You were buried with Him. You were raised again with him. And I'll tell you, the New Testament does not minimize this. It uh, emphasizes this. Paul prayed. You know, you look at his prayers. And his prayers were not, the emphasis was not that the Colossians would do better. It was that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they might bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. I'm quoting Colossians 1, 9 and 10. In Ephesians 3, 18, he says, Oh, I pray that you'd know the surpassing value of his love, the, the width, the depth, the breadth, that we would know that which is unknowable, he says. Knowledge is central to the Christian life. That's why we can't spend too much time in His Word, getting to know Him, getting to know what's really true of us in Christ. He says, don't you know? And he emphasizes this knowledge. King David of old put it this way in the ninth Psalm, those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. Those who know who you really are, your character, your name, will put their trust in thee. Knowledge leads to belief. Now, if knowledge speaks of our mind, and it does, then the next phrase, look at, even so, consider yourselves. This would speak to the heart. And, you know, it's still, it's still in the intellectual realm. Don't misunderstand me here. But it's the idea we would kind of think in terms of letting it get hold of our heart. Know it, and then consider it to be so. Let it really grab you. Even so... Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, this will happen, not as we just merely know these things, but as we repeatedly think on them and regularly mull them over and habitually hear them. Hence, so important as Christians to read Romans 6. To hear it. As I said last week, you won't know these things by your experience. 
You'll know them by God's truth telling you these things. I don't know that I'm crucified with Christ, dead and buried, because I feel that way. I know it because He says so. And I can consider it so as I repeatedly hear Him say it. And that's why He didn't just write the book of Romans. He wrote Corinthians, He wrote Galatians, He wrote Ephesians. He, he gave us this truth over and over again in different texts, different ways of looking at it, so that we would consider it to be so. The more time you spend with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of your position in Christ, the more you're able to get hold of it and consider it to be so. That's why you'll find that Christians that uh, spend time in the Word, spend daily time in the Word, uh, live more like they ought to, bear more fruit because they're filling their mind and their heart with the truth of God. They're considering these things to be so. They're dead to sin and alive to Christ, and they hunger for His Word. That's why Christians who are under the regular teaching of God's Word, who don't forsake the assembling of the saints together, prosper. Because the more we habitually and regularly hear and listen and heed these things, the more we're able to consider it so in our life. And conversely and negatively, that's why in a culture that is habitually and repeatedly telling us that we're just animals, well, just live that way, we start to consider it so. And so you got people filling their mind with the animalistic, perverted kind of stuff that's on every network and every cable and and we wonder why people start to consider themselves as nothing lower than, you know, just that, not created in the image of God, not, and they begin to see themselves and live accordingly. We systematically and regularly and habitually from first grade onward teach children that there really are no absolutes. There really is no right and wrong. You've got to define your own. In this new age, why you've got to internalize this and make it yours and you can write your own rule book and we wonder why after 8, 10, 12 grades of that they decide that that's what they'll do write their own rules and we wonder why Kip Kinkle or Columbine or these things happen we say how did this happen? how did it happen? we've been systematically saying things and trying to believe things and people start to believe them and consider them so and act on them that's a negative But as Christians, maybe you've been kind of just bouncing along and you don't spend the time knowing and considering these things that you should. Oh, let me, let me reduce it to just this. No. Consider. And that leads to what he says, the central exhortation, verse 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your bodies. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Grace leads you to present yourself to God. Don't you know what Christ has done for you? Consider it to be so and present yourself. Present yourself. Now, to present, the term he uses is very, uh, very clear. It's to put yourself 
at his disposal. It's to present yourself. I'm yours. That's what he's saying. You remember when Jesus uh, was in the garden and they came to arrest him and Peter got his sword out and he was going to defend the Lord. And the Lord said, put your sword away, Peter. Don't you know that I could call on my father and he would put at my disposal 72,000 angels right now, Peter? Well, Peter didn't know that, or he'd forgotten that, or he didn't wasn't acting on that. But the word he used, he would put at my disposal. That's this word. The Lord has at his disposal any number of angels, huh? They're just his. If he says, they just, they're his servants. They obey him. That's what we're to do. We're to put ourselves at his disposal. I remember when Paul was in Caesarea, or at Jerusalem, and they were they put this plot together to kill him, they, and they had to whisk him away to Caesarea in Acts 23, and they uh, provided mounts. Remember, that's what the word was. They provided. They just put this together, and it was put at the centurion's disposal to get this prisoner out of town before these guys killed him. That's the term that was used here, to present, to just put yourself at his disposal. Now, it's stated, and I want us to look at it, it's stated negatively and positively. And uh, it helps us see what our responsibility is. First to know, then consider, and then present. And he states it negatively and positively. And that's where we get this cluster of imperatives. He says, don't, first of all. He says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Sin is personified here. He says, Christian, remember who you are. Know something. Consider it. And whatever you do, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Sin would like to. Sin would like to rule your life, Christian. He personifies sin here, and he says, don't let sin rule. And how many people know from hard, bitter experience that sin does just that? Sin will come in the back door. Sin never says, I'd like to rule. Sin says, why don't you rule your own life? Why don't you take charge? Why don't you be your own man? Do what you want to do. But sin knows that as soon as you give yourself over to sin, it's just, it's a progression. And pretty soon, there are many people who are in absolute bondage to a particular sin. Or some just in general to sin. Sin would like to reign in our bodies. And uh, you've got examples all around you, maybe in your own life. There are those who are in absolute bondage to immorality. There are those who thought they were going to be free and they find themselves in bondage. There are those who are living in the sin of money loving. They love money. And they thought that they were going to rule with their money, and really, the love of money rules them. In a materialistic world like we live in, there's people all around us who are enslaved to money. People who've let the sin of alcohol and letting alcohol just take over their life, uh, it reigns in their lives. You could list thing after thing, and you might, in each case, you might, you might say, was that sin? The sin of peer pressure. You say, that's not a sin, peer pressure. Listen, 
The Bible calls it man-pleasing. Now, I know the pressure itself, the temptation itself is not sin. But to begin living for others, just to please the group and to make sure you're not looked at as odd or fanatic or anything like that, and you're man-pleasing, and the Bible calls it sin. And many Christians even find themselves just bound up and unfruitful because they've let sin reign in just that area of the Christian life, or I should say of life, because it's really part of the Christian life. Now you say, what? he's going to expand all this. He touches on it here when he says, don't let sin reign. He's going to expand on it in verses 16 through 23 next time. He goes into it in more detail. And we'll come back and take a look at it. But he says, don't let it happen, Christian. And then a second negative. He says, and don't go on, verse 13, presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't, pre- don't, uh, don't let sin reign and don't present yourself or the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And the term for instruments there, uh, it's kind of good to think of. It's, it's like tools, the tools of the trade. Sometimes it's translated the tackle for a ship. Uh, but most often this term instrument is translated weapon, you know? And when you put yourself at sin's disposal, when you put the members of your body, uh, when you present them to sin, while you become the members of your body, your hands, your eyes, everything about you becomes a tool of unrighteousness, an instrument, a weapon. We're in a spiritual warfare, and you can be a weapon on the wrong side. We use the terms that way all the time, don't we? We'll talk about an athlete. He's got all the tools. Or he can hurt you any number of ways. Or some coach that's got a deep bench, he's got a lot of weapons to use. That's exactly what he's using here as he says, listen, don't in any way, Christian, put yourself on the wrong side of the fence. You know, we think in terms of, and we're so permeated with athletics, I think we can get the picture of it. We talk about it as a war, as a struggle. And uh, constantly we're hearing this kind of language about how many tools he has or how deep the benches, how many weapons they have, and that sort of thing. Listen, whose side are you on? Don't you know? You died to sin. You're crucified. You're buried. You're raised again. Consider it so and present yourself not to the wrong side and present your members. Don't use any member of your body, your hand, what you do in life, your feet, where you go, your eyes, what you look at, the direction you head in life, your heart, your sexuality, everything, everything. Don't think of presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, placing them at sin's disposal. Oh, no, he says. But now he gets to the positive. Look at it. Present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God. Oh, the awful thought. You get to the end of life and you've presented yourself to the wrong coach, so to speak. You've been on the wrong side of the ball. You've been living for... And your influence in life were weapons, tools, 
instruments on the wrong side. No, he says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Put yourself completely at God's disposal. What do you do tomorrow? Well, that's up to God, not you. What do you do with your hands? What do you do with your mind? Where do you go? Where do your feet lead you? How do you treat uh, issues of morality? Uh, Where are your priorities? Present yourselves to God. Your job is not to determine these things for yourself. It's to put yourself at God's disposal. Now, don't misunderstand. I mean, you can't read the book of Romans and not see that you're not going to be engaged intellectually. You're going to be using your mind and thinking about how to invest your life. But the idea is that you don't put yourself at your own disposal. Here's what I'd like out of my Christian life. No, you put yourself before the one who died and rose again on your behalf. You present yourself to him. Now, he's just touching on this here. This is where he's going to, he's going to come back to it. This is. The hinge of Romans in chapter 12, verse 1. When he finishes explaining, because here this is just like a little insert, like a little parenthesis. He says, no, consider, now present yourself. But he's going to go back to it. And when he really gets to the implications of grace is in chapter 12. After 11 chapters, he's only halfway there. And when he gets to chapter 12, we will see that he says, now in light of all this, I urge you, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your ration. It's the only rational thing to do in light of God's grace. And you say, well, what does that look like? We'll read the rest of Romans 12, 13, 14, 15. He gets very practical. And so it's not like we have to just Guess he tells you what it'll look like to present yourself to him. And he gives all kinds of practical instruction. But God is looking for this complete yielding. I, uh, I think we make it far too complicated sometimes. The issue is this in the Christian life. Have you presented yourself to him? Because, oh, people are so busy or they're so enthralled with other things. Listen. Half-heartedness. That's what we're talking about. Just kind of a casual, listen, if you really understand grace, if you really know what God has done for you, consider it so. And then put yourself at His disposal, His purposes for your life, His discretion to use you, to use your abilities. It's not your choice what career you want to make you happy, to see how much money you can make or how much fulfillment you can have, that's all fine and dandy. And in fact, Christians have more fulfillment than any other people because the path to real fulfillment is to allow Him to call the shots. But that's not why you do that. You do that because of what He's done for you in light of what has happened. Your position in Christ, you present yourself to Him as instruments, as weapons of righteousness. I'm on your team, I'm at your command, and he is the commander-in-chief, and he'll put you where he wants you in the strategic battle, so to speak, and he will use your life, he'll use your mind, he'll use your hands, your feet, everything about you, your purity in life, everything will be used as weapons on God's side, weapons, instruments of righteousness.
you say, that sounds like slavery. And I often hear that objection. When you really explain this this way, it's almost too heavy-handed for our culture today. We like to talk about what we want to do so much. Somebody says, that sounds like slavery. I say, exactly. Read on. Read the rest of chapter 6. He's going to talk about, we're going to talk about it next time, the joy and the freedom of being enslaved, not to sin, but to God. You really don't have a choice, you know. We fancy ourselves free. Oh, that's next week. I should stop. But it, it's true. He wants us to be given over to Him completely at His disposal. Now, don't miss verse 14. This is all because of grace. Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We don't uh, present ourselves to God because of some legal bondage. The opposite. It isn't in order that we might earn some favor with God. No, we present ourselves to God because we're under grace. And that's the whole argument of the chapter. Does grace promote sin? May it never be. Don't you know? And he addresses our mind. Consider it. Let that sink into your heart. And then present yourself. He addresses our will. No, grace doesn't promote sin. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death, knowing that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin? Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, and present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as tools, as weapons, as instruments of righteousness to God. That's chapter 6 in a nutshell. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Now, nutshells are helpful. So are expansions. And he's going to spend the whole last section of Romans expanding on that. He's going to spend the last half of chapter 6 reinforcing this and speaking particularly not just about our union with Christ, but our slavery to God and the joy and the freedom and the fruitfulness of that. And I would encourage you to let this mull over in your mind and sink down into your heart and then inform your actions. And the one thing he's after, Christian, is that you say, I'm yours. You do with me as you will, but I'm yours. Put yourself at his disposal. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Does Grace Promote Sin? A message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Don't you know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin or of God and righteousness? That's his thesis. This matter of slavery, I, I know it kind of shocks us to hear the language because we think in terms of slavery as being so negative, and of course it is terribly evil to anything or anyone other than our Creator. But when we're slaves of God, there is freedom. The apostles, they never tired of using this term to describe themselves. Of crying, I'm a doulos, a doulos, a bondservant of Christ. James, Peter, Paul, Jude, they all used this term. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Two Slaveries. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.